Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Yeah. We having a good day? Yeah. No, no. Come on. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Okay, good. Good. All right, as we get into the message this morning, I'm excited to be with you. We're continuing on in our series called uh, Family Focus, and I have a question for you this morning. Who's the one person who's hurt you the most in life? Just who is that person? As, as you think about it and as you come to this moment, like there's probably somebody in your life that has really maybe wounded you or harmed you in some way the most. Many of us that may be a sibling or a boss or something like that, but for a lot of us, it's probably our parents. And I know that that might sound weird because parents aren't supposed to do that, but a lot of us carry these wounds from our childhood because of our parents. And so today, I really want to talk about how to forgive your parents, because I think there's probably some part of our life that we need to do that, because a lot of us are living in our relationships, we're living in the way that we're raising our kids, or in our marriage, or all of these things are really affected by what happened to us as kids. And the reality is, we talked about this last week, we, we cannot go back in time, we cannot change those moments, and we can't really walk away backwards from our hurt, right? We have to turn around and make our way towards a new future, towards a new path. In fact, even this week, as I was just meeting with people and talking with people, I really got into this place where I had three different conversations with people this weekend, in this week, about how their parents hurt them. I mean, just coming up in conversations, and a lot of times when we do counseling or we do any kind of biblical advice or marriage counseling or anything like that, we talk a lot about people's parents. And we heard this week that one person was with this set of parents, um, like in a foster kind of care thing, and when they didn't behave, they were starved. And we heard another person 
talk about this week that um, they did something and their parents wanted to keep them from celebrating a huge moment in their life. And even to this week, we just heard about some parents that completely abandoned their children. And you hear about these things and you like look at this and you go, what is happening? And for so many of us, we need to go one step further and go, not, not, what's not wrong with them? We need to go one step further and go, what happened to them? What happened to those parents that this was okay? That this was part of their life and leading this way and loving this way, it was, was acceptable or plausible or even something that could come forward in their life. I mean, even now as we think about it, how many of us who are parents in the room have said, I will never be like my mom. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like my grandparents. And that's kind of been your way in which you are moving forward in this life. You just don't want to be somebody, but you don't really know who you want to be. And so as we go through this today, we're going to be talking about this idea that if you want to have an incredible family, incredible relationships, then you're going to need to learn to forgive. And you're going to go like, but they don't deserve it. And Pastor Blake, you don't know about the situation and you don't know all of these things. And I'm here to tell you is forgiveness is not really about them. It's really about you. It really comes down to how you're living in this life and how you're affected by these things. Because let me just tell you, as I talked about the person that probably hurts you most in life, I bet some of us got nervous. I bet our whole demeanor changed as we walked into the room this morning and we heard that. Because we're brought back to these hurtful moments, this pain in our life. And let me tell you that God does not want you living in this way. And getting over hurt is not forgetting. Getting over hurt is forgiving. And so I was, as I was reading um, th this week about forgiveness and like some of the physical ailments that come into your life because of unforgiveness and stress is unbelievable. It, it, it really has a way of embittering and, and enveloping our entire life. Forgiveness is, the way, is a way of letting go and allowing the hurt of the past and the people of the past, letting them go and not allowing that to control your life anymore, right? Because for a lot of us, because we are struggling with forgiveness of others or ourselves, we are controlled. We are in this place where we can't move forward in life. Listen to this um, definition given by Dr. Tony Evans. I loved it, what he said. Um, as I was reading this week, he says, forgiveness is a beautiful word when you need it. It's an ugly word when you have to give it. But it is a bridge we all must cross, and it is certainly a bridge we should never burn down. See, if you're part of this world and you're part of this life, you go, I don't know if this message is for me. If you're in this room, you've been hurt, and you're going to be hurt. Like, you're going to be disappointed in people. You're going to be disappointed by situations. And so as we move through the message this morning, I just want us to be in a prayerful position of healing. And so I'm going to pray as we continue in this message and just allow God to move in this moment. Because I know that the enemy is probably whispering in your heart, in your mind right now, and you're having even a hard time paying attention. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, we love you.
We thank you for the forgiveness that we've received in you. We thank you that you're able to do all things, God. We thank you for how powerful you are. And God, that you knew and saw the hurt that we would have in our life, but you've given us a mechanism to let go and to let you do what only you can do. And so God, I pray today that we will release hurt. I pray today that we will forgive not only others, but ourselves this morning, God, that we will continue to walk in freedom that you purchased for us this morning. And so God, be present in this place. Be magnified and glorified in everything that we do here today. God, we love you and we thank you in Christ's name. And everybody said, all right, let's get to work. Let's start some healing. All right. So there's a couple things that you have to understand about forgiveness. There's really two types of forgiveness that you and I will experience. There's two different things that you and I will go through. There's two different ways to, to forgive. The first, it's called transactional forgiveness. This is probably what you and I are most familiar with in life, right? You probably like, this is what you experience as a kid, right? You punch your friend in the face, your friend gets upset, and they say, you better say you're sorry. You say, you're so I'm sorry. And they say, all right, we all good, let's go, right? And they move on. That's transactional forgiveness. This is the way our judicial system works, right? Hey, you uh, robbed a store. Guess what? You are now going to go to jail, right? You're going to have to pay a penalty, but when you get out, all should be forgiven. But how many of us know that transactional forgiveness really falls short? Because how many of us, like, I worked in the jails for a while. I taught men's groups in the jail about character development and being a father. And most of those guys who had felony charges or whatever they had on them knew that when they came out into the world, they were going to have a hard time fitting back into society because their past was always going to follow them. Because they did the time. They, they, they paid the penalty, but they knew that transactional forgiveness doesn't really work deep down. Right? Because how many of us, like even someone has said sorry, and you know, like you were taught, you're supposed to say, you're forgiven. And then you're still upset. It's still there. The words didn't quite work out. The things didn't quite go the way that you wanted. So that is transactional forgiveness. In transactional forgiveness, forgiveness is earned. It's earned. It's something you have to earn in order to be forgiven. That's a very worldly way of looking at forgiveness. You're going to need to earn this back. The other type of forgiveness is very different from the world's. It's called unilateral forgiveness. What unilateral forgiveness is, is it's this idea that the other person does not need to be involved in the forgiving act. They don't need to show up. They don't need to be there. They don't need to ask for forgiveness because you've decided to do it. Because you really understand the definition of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not about things being made right. It's about letting things go so they can be. Right? Because some of us feel like you owe me. Some of you, like right now, as we talked about your parents, and you're, you're living your life, whether through relationship, through the way that you're raising your kids, whatever it is, the person you're trying to date, I just don't want to date my dad. I just don't want to marry my mom. If just anybody, I just don't want anybody like that. And so what happens is, is, is you deal with this hurt, but you don't need the other person to ask for something in order to forgive. That's the beauty of forgiveness is you don't need them there. It, it's this idea that we're going to pre-decide 
to forgive no matter what happens. Why would we do that? Because you have to realize that forgiveness is more about you being free than them getting away. And because we've been taught for so long the world system is transactional forgiveness, we have a hard time apologizing so many times because we've seen how that doesn't really work out in life. Like there's a part of it where you're really not going to be forgiven. And so in the unilateral system, forgiveness is given, not earned. We need to work our way in this world towards unilateral forgiveness. That we don't have to ask for it, that we don't have to earn it, that we don't need the other person to be involved. If they can be, that's great. That's incredible. But we're not talking about letting the other person off the hook. We're talking about your freedom. Who's the person that hurts you most in this life? What's going on in your mind right now? How is your heart feeling? Because when we talk about unilateral versus transactional forgiveness, what it tells me is how you live in relationship. So let me ask you, what type of relationship do you have? Is it a law or a love relationship? Transactional forgiveness operates in a law-based relationship. There are rules, there are penalties, there are punishments based upon how you live and how you operate with me. This is for us a lot of the way that we parent. We're not so much about shepherding the heart sometimes. We're more about behavior modification. But how many of us know, like, behavior modification is not long-lasting, but heart transformation is for a lifetime? And so let me ask you, how are you living your relationships with people in this life? Is it a law-based one? Or a love-based one. See, if you're in a law-based relationship, everything is looked at debts and balances. That's how it's looked at. Hey, you are indebted to me and, or our family or I am indebted to you because of something that has happened. In fact, some of us are so ashamed of the things that we've done ourselves that we feel indebted to ourselves. It's like you keep paying for your own Deal. And, and the problem is in a law-based relationship, we confuse punishment with forgiveness. That's how we operate. In a love-based relationship, you look at things and you go, this is more about relationship than it is about penalty. This is what our justice system is supposed to be about. Our justice system is supposed to be about what? Reformation. People being reformed. What are we trying to do? Have a heart change. We think that penalty and punishment will bring heart change, but that's not true. That's not true. It doesn't do that. Now, sometimes there are consequences for your action, and there are penalties. Absolutely. We're not saying you just, like, say to everybody, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Because, church, let me just tell you something. There's a really fine line between grace and enablement. We're not talking about enablement in here. We're talking about grace. And sometimes the most gracious thing to do in someone's life or in a relationship is that there is penalty. Because you've got to learn, like, there's consequences to these things. And by me bringing in a less severe penalty now, it might save you from one later. And so let me just ask you, what are you, how are you 
looking at your relationships. Now, a love-based relationship, let me just tell you, is one of restoration. But let me tell you something about restoration. Because some of you are like, I don't know if I could ever be in the kind of relationship that I was with that person ever again. Great, but you can still restore things. Kelsey and I lived in Virginia for a really long time. We lived in this area called the Fort Hill area when we lived in Lynchburg. And right near our house was this old fort in Lynchburg. And there was a Civil War battle on the property. Like where we lived was an old farm. And some of our neighbors, it was really cool, um, they had gone around in their yards with metal detectors and they found cannonballs and they found musket balls and they found like the old muskets they had moved to a slug and they found them in their yards. I mean, it's really cool. In fact, my house was newer, but my neighbor's house was built in the 1800s. We're like, Florida didn't even exist then, right? And so Like in the 1800s, this house was built on this property. And so what happened is, is this guy moved in and he moved into the house and he had to restore the house. You know, because in the 1800s, there wasn't like, you know, toilets. There's an outhouse. And he never brought us over and said, hey, here's the bucket. You got to go outside. But he's like, there's the bathroom. I was like, oh, great. Right. And, And there was air conditioning and there was heating, central air, central heat. The house was restored, but it wasn't what it was originally, right? I mean, it still was made new. It was still in many ways, like, okay with where it was, but it wasn't the same. And that's okay. Restoration doesn't necessarily mean that things go back to the same. What it means is things are functioning. And so what does functioning mean with the people that hurt us most in life? It might mean for you and I that we've forgiven them, but there are safe boundaries in our life. There are like, there is wisdom in saying, hey, this isn't okay. I'm not doing this. And so I am going to put safe boundaries in my life. And so let me just ask you, how are you dealing with your relationships? Parents, how are you parenting? Love or law? Love or law? Love is about heart transformation. Law is about behavior modification. Right? We have to shepherd our kids' hearts before we just penalize their behavior. But there are penalties. Like my house, there's timeouts. There, there's, there's things being taken away. There's loss of what we call privileges. Right? I mean, that, that's normal things. Like, you punch your sister in the face for the third time today. Literally, we were at dinner the other night, and we heard in, uh, we have like a uh, room where our kids watch movies, and we were in the kitchen, and we had friends over, uh, or they had just about to come over. And all of a sudden, I heard like a whoosh from the TV room. And I was like, what was that noise? Uh, well, at Mystery Island, we gave out all of these rubber, like kind of gooey, Lizards, okay? Mystery Island, right? And the mystery is, is how did my son smack my daughter in the face with a rubber lizard? Because all of a sudden I hear, <laughs> and our scout has this like whimper. I don't know what, how, it's like, <laughs> and I was like, what happened? And I look, she's, she looks like a pirate, right? She's like crying. I'm like, Jude, what happened? And he's like, I tried to, I meant to hit the couch, I was like, but you hit her face, and she's sitting up. She's not laying down. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Right? And she's crying, and he's like, I just hit her in the face with a lip. He's a boy. And boy, you don't need a reason to hit someone if you're a boy. You just do it. It's just part of your life. 
You just hit people. Right? Sometimes if I'm watching a movie with Jude, I have to watch out because we'll be in the middle of the movie. I'll look over. He's glued in. He's ready to go. Then all of a sudden, I, out of the corner of my eye, there's a flying human being, <laughs> knees first. And I'm like, oh, oh. That's just the way boys are. So did I, like when Jude hit her in the eye with the lizard, did I go tooth for tooth, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Give me that lizard. What's out? And do that to him? No. I talked to him about it. Hey, man, when you hit your sister in the face out of nowhere, you blindside her. Literally, she might be blinded on that side, right? Like, there's a problem here, man. And look, it hurt her. And I know you didn't necessarily mean it, but that's what happens. Did I leave it there? No. Come with me. We're going to timeout. We're going to be having a timeout. But what am I trying to do? I'm trying to shepherd his heart before I penalize his behavior. We always want to make sure, like, hey, why is this consequence here? Because it's really about this moment of not putting more hurt and unforgiveness in people's lives. And so today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at a story that probably some of us in this room are familiar with. In fact, probably all of us kind of know the name of this story. Because what do you call somebody who goes astray, who leaves their family, or, or goes off and does something they shouldn't be doing? We call them what? prodigal. This comes from the story, the prodigal son. So Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read the story all the way through because I just want us to get the context and then we're going to jump into some things, okay? So the whole thing, won't, the Bible won't be up on the screens, but follow along on your device. If you don't have a Bible, we've got free ones in the back. You just go grab one right now, all right? So here we go. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, right? He's been teaching these stories about lost things, a coin, right? He, he's talking about the lost sheep, right? Uh, that famous song, Reckless Love, is on John chapter 15 in the first part of the chapter. But here he continues and says, hey, look, we're going to talk about people or things being lost. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This young buck looks at his dad and he goes, look, dad, I know I got some money coming my way. I know I got some stuff coming my way. Why don't you just give it to me early so I can live my best life now? Dad's like, okay. And what does this say to the dad? Your stuff is more important than our relationship. That's hurtful. That hurts. That's deep. But this dad, he's a good dad, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, all of his dad's stuff, that had just given him and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. We all know what that is. We all been to Vegas, right? A little bit. Of, this is what he did. He got some money in his pocket, burning a hole in his pocket. So he goes to a distant land and he lives wild, wild. And so what happens is, is because here's the deal. Every gift is a curse in the wrong season. That money could have been a gift, but it was a curse for this young man because he wasn't ready. That's a different message for a different time that we will do one day. But some of you, the reason why God's not giving you what you want most right now is because he knows you're not ready for it. He doesn't want it to be a curse in your life. He wants it to be a blessing. We just need to develop your character. That's a different message. Okay, so here we go. So he goes, he, he squanders it in wild living, and after he had spent everything, there's not a dime left, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So it got worse, right? So he gives away, gets rid of all of his money, and then there's a recession, a big one. 
And so there's a famine in the land, and so there's not commerce, there's not food, and so he is really suffering. And so this famine affects the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country. This is a big deal in this time, because what this means is a Jewish young man was going to give himself over and work as basically a slave for the people of a foreign land. This was a big deal. When the text says that, everybody in this time goes, whoa, like that's bad. Like you're working for the bad guys. This is not good. Things are really desperate. And so he kind of gets a job. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. If you know anything about kosher or Jewish tradition, that's probably the worst job for a Jewish boy. I got to go feed the pigs. That's my job. I can't eat the pigs. I, I really shouldn't be touching them because they are unclean. This is, I'm, I'm at the bottom of things in my life. Look at verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He got so desperate in his life that he was willing to eat out of the trough with pigs. That's hungry. That's hunger maybe like none of us have ever known in this room. When you're looking at the sloppy seconds of pigs, that's, you're desperate. And that's exactly where this boy finds himself. He, he realizes that he's probably living with a little bit of guilt, a little bit of anger, a little bit of depression, because he's even willing to eat the food of pigs, yet no one gave him anything. Verse 17, he came to his senses. How many of us know that God will let you get to the bottom to wake you up? And so he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He says, even my dad's employees live better than me. They're eating. They have a place to sleep. Like they have food. They're doing, they're better than me. He says this, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Ooh, this is big. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy. I am no longer worthy, what, to be your son. Like, I, I can't do this. I'm no, I, I, I can't be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is not the reaction that he was expecting. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, he doesn't even acknowledge that. His father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he asked one of the servants and asked him and said, what's going on? Your brother has come home. Your brother's here. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Hmm. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out. He, he threw a temper tantrum. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father. He said, look, 
all of these years I have been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat, let alone a fatted calf. I mean, I've been feeding that calf for years. I named it Precious, and you just killed Precious, and I smell Precious cooking on the barbecue, and I didn't even get a goat. Okay, let's bring this into modern terms, because you guys are like, I don't, goats and fatted calves? I don't know. You gave him a Mercedes, and I got a Fiat. I didn't even get a Fiat. I didn't even get an e-bike. And you gave him the Mercedes? I've been faithful. I've obeyed. I've done all of these things. All these years, I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed you. Verse 30, but when, when this son of yours, look, look at how he talks about it. When this son of yours, when he returns, who squandered everything, your property, your possessions, on prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fatted calf and call for him? Like you kill Precious, you give him the Mercedes, and he was sleeping with prostitutes. He spent all your money sleeping with women, women having drink, and this is what you do? I've been here the whole time. And some of you go, I get it. I get it. He's angry. There's jealousy. There's bitterness here. Right? Immediately, he's controlled by this. Who's the one person who's hurt you most in your life? Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the bro this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Look, we see, we see from this story, there's really three ways to respond to hurt and the things that we need to do with unforgiveness and forgiveness. I mean, there's just three different characters in the story, right? So here we go. Who's the first one? Well, the first person is those who can't forgive himself, themselves, the prodigal son. The first person in the story that we're going to talk about today is the prodigal son. He's the one who can't forgive himself. He can't deal with all of these things. In fact, he approaches his relationship with his father through transaction and not through love. He deals with his father through law and not through love. And so what happens in this moment and in this relationship is he can't forgive himself. Like it's too much. Luke chapter 15, 17 to 20. When he came to his senses, he realized all that had gone wrong. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. This is how we know he has, doesn't have forgiveness in his heart. Self-forgiveness. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servant. So he got up and went to his father. When you don't feel worthy of forgiveness, when you don't feel worthy of relationship, you, that's a sure sign that there's unforgiveness in your life. Like for some of us, we know all the terrible, nasty, awful things that we've done. And you talk to yourself like that. And you say those things in your head. And you are missing out on good things in life because you don't feel worthy. You have unforgiveness. You feel like you still owe yourself or the cosmos or something. And, and if you don't get it right, you've got this part of your life where you can't have nice things. Do you want to know how I know if you have unforgiveness residing in your life? You self-sabotage. 
You self-sabotage these parts of your life. You, you lack self-forgiveness, and so you stop walking in who you really are, and you don't think you deserve the things that are really yours because you've done all of these things, and you cannot forgive yourself for them, and so you self-sabotage. I mean, you can remember like you acted some way towards your kids or, or towards your parents or towards whatever. Or maybe your parents always were never satisfied with who you were and how you lived. And so because of that, when you messed up or didn't meet their impossible standard, you always felt unworthy when forgiving, forgive yourself for messing up. And so you constantly self-sabotaged. Here's what self-sabotage might look like in your life. It's Thanksgiving. You come home, you got some family hurt, you got some parent hurt, you got some sibling hurt, you've done some bad things in your life. Maybe you were the prodigal. Maybe you're the one who went to Vegas and blew all the money. I don't know. But you get to dinner, and dinner's going great. The turkey was good, wasn't fried, like it wasn't messed up, it wasn't dry. Somehow they made turkey taste good. I don't know how to do that, but they did it because I, I like ham, right? But here's the deal. Turkey's great. Dinner's great. Everyone's having a good time. You're laughing. Football game's on in the background. The Dallas Cowboys are losing. You're feeling good. <laughs> You're feeling good. You're like, go Bucks. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> so that hit home with somebody. Somebody just, somebody just fell out. They're like, the, oh, did he prophesy? No, I didn't prophesy. I don't know what's going to happen this year. But here's the deal. It's going great. You get dessert. Your favorite one's there. Pumpkin pie, pecan pie, cherry pie. I don't know what you like. Cake? Who has cake for Thanksgiving? But you do. All right, so here's the deal. It's going great. You're getting the coffee. You're going to hang out. And then all of a sudden, you realize and you start to feel guilty about all the things you've done wrong. You remember how you talked to your parents. You remember how your parents talked to you. You did whatever. And so you throw a grenade into the middle of Thanksgiving. And you're, got, you're like, so what do you think about the president? Huh? Where'd that come from? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Do you remember that time that you did this? What do you do? You self-sabotage. You pick a fight. Because the thing that you think you deserve is separation from your family, separation from those who you love most. So you self-sabotage to make sure you leave feeling the way that you agree with inside. See, I don't deserve to be in a family. I don't deserve to have a good time. I don't deserve to be part of this. I don't deserve all these things. So I'm going to make sure that I mess things up enough that it confirms the way I feel about myself. Or you do it in your marriage. You do it in your, like, things are going too great. I better do something to mess this up. And you're like, I don't know if I do that. Well, look at your past behavior and realize, like, if you always think it's too good to be true and the other foot's going to fall, then you probably are a person who self-sabotages. You're just waiting for things to go bad. Unforgiveness will make you feel like you can never come back home. Unforgiveness will make you feel like you can't get back and you'll never be worthy. But here's the deal. Forgiveness has nothing to do with worthiness. It has everything to do with freedom. That's the reality of forgiveness. Unilateral forgiveness is not about the worthiness of a person. It's about the freedom you need to experience. That's the reality. And for some of you in this room, 
you are relating to yourself in this life like the prodigal son, and you don't feel worthy of forgiving yourself. And I'm here to tell you something. Forgiveness has nothing to do with worthiness. It has everything to do with freedom. Someone doesn't have to be worthy to be forgiven. That's why unilateral forgiveness is so important because the other person doesn't even need to be a part of it. Worthiness has nothing to do with it. So how are you loving yourself? Is it law or love? I don't know. And so those who can't forgive themselves have a hard time, like the second brother, forgiving others. The older brother can't forgive other people. He can't forgive what is going on. Do you notice that as soon as he heard about what had happened, as soon as he heard there was a party and the fatted calf was killed and he could smell the barbecue and he heard the laughter and he heard the cheering, he's angry. He's so angry that as a grown man, he digs his heels in and crosses his arms and won't go into the party like a three-year-old. And so what does dad do? Come on, buddy. Come on, man. It's fun in there. We're having a good time. We got your favorite preciouses on the Barbie, right? Like, come on. You raised her. She tastes good, right? Like, come on. Nah. And then he has a temper tantrum. Why? Because he has unforgiveness and it touched on hurt in his life. Because let me just tell you something. When your brother disappears with half of your father's wealth and goes to a far off land, it hurts. You've been abandoned. Why would you leave me? Why would you do this? Like, I thought we were in this together. We were homies from little, like, when we first got, like, when you were born. I've always cared for you. I've always loved you. I'm the older brother. I love you. Why would you do this? Why would you abandon me? And so then when he comes home and he lives that way, I mean, obviously the older brother knew that he was sleeping with prostitutes. So some rumors and some things had gotten into the house. You know what your brother's doing? I saw him in Vegas. You know what he was doing? Drinking, smoking. And I saw him with some women that I don't know about. Hmm. So that's what he's doing with dad's money. So who are you in this life? Luke 15, 28 to 31, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. I'm the perfect son. Hmm. Could pride be a part of those who can't forgive others? What he's saying is nothing gone wrong with my life. I'm perfect. I bet the dad would be like, I beg to differ. I remember some things. Remember that time you blew the toilet up with those firecrackers? I do. Okay, anyway, he goes this. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. Comparison. Comparison kills, right? And so I could, I could, so I could celebrate with my friends so I could have a party and we could have eaten precious. But when this son of yours who squandered all your property... With prostitutes comes homes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Are you kidding me? And the father says, my son, you were always with me. And that's the blessing. Sometimes the blessing of your life is that things haven't gone wrong. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. So this is what people who can't forgive others, this is what it looks like. This may be you. Everything's about you. Everything's about how that person hurt you, how that person did this. And even though they live through some of the hardest things in life, 
and dealt with some of the hardest things in life, you took it all personally. Because you struggle with this thing called pride. And pride is a life lived all about you. And you will approach everybody in life through law if you're prideful. Why? Because you, everything always needs to be made right to you. You owe me. You did this to me. Are you kidding me? This is, you did this to me? You owe me now. And so you can look at this life, and if you, you do this, notice what the older brother does. He plays the rewind button. Well, remember all of these things? I'll just tell you right now, if you're always playing the rewind button in your life, there is unforgiveness in your heart. So some of you are playing the rewind button in your head about your own issues, and some of us are replaying the issues of the past that the other people did. So we live in purgatory, we live in jail, we live in this moment that we can never get out of because we have unforgiveness. Because I don't know about you, I don't really think a lot about things that don't bother me anymore because I've let them go. You guys hounding on that thing that you forgot about? No? No one can remember that? It's because you let it go. It's forgiven. You let it go. It's gone. But the reality is, is for some of us, or maybe you like, oh, yeah, I do remember that one thing, but it's not a big deal to me. I'm over it. It's not affecting my life. So the other brother plays the rewind button all of the time. If that's how you live life, always looking at things through the past, we talked about this, there is unforgiveness in your heart. And let me ask you, how is that going? Have you noticed that a lot of us don't live in the past in the great, I mean, maybe the guy from, uh, what's that movie with the weird guy who dances? Napoleon Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. Cody on the wavelength, right? <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, man. Uncle, Uncle Rico. Rico. Uncle Rico. I could throw this ball over them mountains. Right? Like, you're like, you're living in the past, bro. But here's the deal. For so many of us, we live in the negative part of it. And you just drag all of your relationships into it because there's unforgiveness. Look at what Hebrews chapter 8 verses 10 to 12 says. This is God talking to Israel in the book of Jeremiah. It's quoted here. This is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. This also comes from the book of Exodus. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Verse 12 is where it really hits. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. What's God saying? I don't have a rewind button. I'm not the one pulling up your past. That's the enemy. I'm not the one bringing up those thoughts. I will remember those things no more. So why would God bring them to your memory? He's not. You got to know who's playing in your sandbox when you're thinking about the past. It's not God. That's forgotten. It is gone. As far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sins no more. But I do. And I remember what they did. And God goes, I know, but I am working all things out. And because I am in the future, it is if it is gone. And so for some of us, if you're always in this room and you're always playing the past, there is unforgiveness in your heart towards you or towards others. And let me just tell you something. They're not in jail. You are. Some of you in here are like struggling to get through this message. I can feel it. The spirit is heavy. There's no really cool analogies today. We're just talking Bible. 
But, but God's all up in your business right now, but so is the enemy. Because if the enemy can't keep you from knowing God, he will distract you from experiencing him. And let me just tell you something, church. The enemy screams, but God whispers. Why, do, why does God whisper? Some of you know this. We talk about it all the time. Why does God whisper? Because he's always close. So you need to listen to the whisper and not the lie. But finally, we see a great example, the dad. The one who chose to forgive. He shows unilateral forgiveness. Notice that the dad is not waiting at the door in the footstep and go, looky, 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 who's here? You back for more? You need more money? No, what does the dad do? He runs to meet the son who he sees so far off. And the forgiveness of the father runs towards the son. The father is not waiting there for the son going, you got to come to me. He goes, I got to get to him. He's been living in this unforgiveness for far too long. I got to get there. He's got to know immediately that I love him and he's forgiven. So he hugs him. He didn't say this. You want forgiveness? Hug me. You want forgiveness? Kiss me. Why? Because the father predecided what he would do when the prodigal came home. Forgiveness was waiting. Some of us are staying far away from God right now because we think that God's going to sit at the throne of heaven and just sit there and wait for you to come grovel. When the reality is, is King Jesus came down from heaven to earth to meet us in our unforgiveness, to pay the sin, to give us the biggest hug and the biggest kiss ever. Because he loves you. And because when we believe in him and confess with him, forgiveness is on the table. And the reality is, is there's nothing you need to do. You just need to accept it. There's nothing that the son needed to do to get the forgiveness but accept it. That's it. That's all the son had to do was say, oh, hug, okay, kiss. This is What's going on? Kill precious, let's go. Right? And he's like, it's a party. This is so cool. Except probably not. He's like, oh, wait, I don't deserve this. And I bet you half halfway through the party, this isn't in the Bible. I'm just putting a little bit of me on this and how I would think. I'd be like, I don't deserve this party. But you and I have to receive the forgiveness that God gives us. See, the father had already decided that he was going to forgive. The relationship was waiting to be restored, and the son was living in purgatory. The son was living in filth. The son was living in unforgiveness longer than he ever had to. Because the moment he turned around is the moment forgiveness was there. Some of you are extending your suffering because you don't feel like you can come home. Because you can't forgive yourself, you can't forgive others, you feel you like you're unworthy, and so are other people, and you're afraid that God's waiting on the throne room and that Jesus didn't come down for you. And so you're prolonging your suffering because you're believing the lie of the enemy. See, for the Father, it was always about relationship, not law. It was always about love and not law. It was always about unilateral forgiveness, not transactional forgiveness. The first two relationships in this story, the son, the two sons, is all about law. The father shows it's all about love. He shows us a better story. But I want you to notice one thing. Two are partying and one is pouting. Who are you? 
How are you living your life? Are you partying with God? Are you excited? Do you, you can't wait to get to church. You can't wait to pray. You can't wait to read the Bible. You can't wait to meet God in the morning because you know the Father's waiting for you. And yeah, he knows all the things you did yesterday, but today is a new day. And those sins are as far as the east is from the west. And they've been infinitely removed from you. And you're always in relationship with him because he's the one who maintains the relationship. He's the one who restores the relationship. He's the one who paid for the sin. And he's perfectly pleased in his son, and so he's perfectly pleased in you because the son covers you. But I want you to notice how the Bible begins to refer to this idea of unforgiveness. Twice in this passage, it says he was dead and is now alive. Here's the deal. Unforgiveness will kill your relationships because it's killing you. Because you're trying to do things to soothe your soul with the world that can never soothe the things that are going on in your life. And so what do we need to do? Like, what do we need to do as we get ready to wrap up this morning? Here's the deal. We all think that forgiveness is a feeling, and it's not. It's a choice. Thanks be to God that he didn't choose to deal with us based upon how he felt about her sin, but he chose to deal with us through his son. Forgiveness is a choice and not a feeling. And you have to tell your feelings to fall in line with the truth. And so what does that mean? That you and I are going to have to pre-decide who we are. Not decide in the moment of offense. Decide now who you will be in your marriage. Decide now who you will be as a parent. Decide now who you'll be as a friend. Decide now who you're going to be as a son or daughter from now on. You have to pre-decide who you're going to be because when you pre-decide who you're going to be, it pre-decides the decision. So when something comes to you, you don't have to go, should I forgive this? It's already done. It's already there. But not only do you need to pre-decide, you need to forgive early. The longer you let things sit, the deeper the roots grow. And we're going to have to work a lot harder to get through it. Ephesians chapter 4, 25 to 27. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, look at this, when you're hurt, when something's gone wrong with you, when someone has offended you, when you need to forgive, it says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Why do we forgive early? Does it mean like if, it, if you're still upset and the sun goes down, oh no, the sun is setting. I got to do this today. No, it's metaphorical. And what it means is don't put these hurts and these things to bed. They're not meant to go to bed. They're meant to be buried. No one takes a dead body in something that should be forgotten and puts it in a bed. If you do, that's weird. That's a story. Florida man buries wife in bed, right? That's what happens. Everyone goes, that's not right. Going to ground. Why are you doing that with your hurt? Some of you are cuddling in bed with things that should be dead and buried. Forgive early. It's much easier. Forgive early. Make the choice. And if you predecide, that's the earliest it can be. Why? Why is it so important? Because it's not about like because they deserve it, because they need it. 
What does the Bible say? Because the devil will use that in your life and will stand in your soul. And he will torment you through this hurt and through this unforgiveness. And you'll be the one paying and they won't. And so pre-forgive. Do it early. But not only that, forgive often. Forgive often. Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Peter, really good guy. He's actually a guy in the Bible that needs a little bit of forgiveness. But look at what Peter says. He talks to Jesus. He says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times should I forgive law? Can you give me a number so that I know when I can, I'm good. I can just go away and live in my hurt. You realize that's what he's saying? Just give me a number that then I can go live in my hurt. How long or how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Seven times? Should I do that? That's a number of perfection in the Bible. Jesus replied and answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations say seven times 70. Here's the point. It's not the number. It's the heart. Here's what Jesus is saying. Continue to forgive. So here's the deal. A lot of us feel like this about forgiveness. Cody's coming up here. We're going to worship with the band in just a second. But here's the deal. A lot of us feel like it's a one and done thing with forgiveness. But the enemy is an acquitter. And he will keep bringing these things up. Remember, I said forgiving is not forgetting. It's choosing how you respond to it. And so what is the Bible telling us to do? When it comes up, forgive it. When it comes up, forgive it. When it comes up, forgive it. Here's what he's saying. On this side of heaven, you need to keep forgiving. Continually. And you go, but they don't deserve it. But we've already told you. This isn't about them. This is about you. Do you want to get back into jail or do you want to continue to live free? So you keep forgiving them because it's not about them. It's really about you and where your freedom needs to be. And so how do you do this? How do you forgive? It's simple. You choose who you're going to be. Who are you going to be today? Who are you going to be tomorrow? And let me just tell you, just like you need to keep forgiving, you also need to keep deciding who you're going to be. Some days, I don't feel like being a great pastor. Some days, I don't feel like being a pastor at all. I have to choose to be that guy that day. Some of you got to choose to be a great parent. Some of you got to choose to be a great sibling or a wife or a husband or whatever you are. But also, you need to identify your hurt. If you identify your hurt, you'll really get, begin to see what needs to be forgiven. And then this, ask yourself what you would want if this was you. If you had hurt somebody in your life, if you had done something to someone in your life, what would you want them to do? Remember, forgiveness is a beautiful word when you need it, but an ugly one when you got to give it. And then finally, empathize. We say it in this church all the time, hurt people hurt people. So when people respond to you in a certain way, they're probably responding to you out of their unforgiveness and out of their hurt. But we want to be these people who aren't bringing hurt into life. And so next week, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about relationships and conflict and how we live in this life and how blessing and curse can come into our life and into our relationships when we don't do some things well. And so I want to give you something. See, in order to not only be forgiving, but also learning to be the person to ask for forgiveness, you actually need to know how to apologize. Who wants to learn how to apologize? Everyone thinks it's just, I'm sorry. That's not an apology, that's a statement. 
Here's how you apologize. You guys might want to write this down. There's six steps to a true apology. If you do these six things, I promise you that you will help heal the person that you've offended and you will help bring healing and not unforgiveness. The first thing is state the offense. I'm sorry that I cussed you out. I cussed you out. That was wrong, right? You state the offense. You acknowledge it. It was wrong. I cussed you out. That was wrong. You apologize. I'm sorry. Apologies end with a period, not a but or an if. I'm sorry, but if you didn't act like that, I wouldn't cuss at you. Wrong. That's their problem now, not yours. I'm sorry you made me act this way. That's not an apology. Right? I'm sorry if you would never do this, that wouldn't happen. That's not an apology. Apology ends with a period. I am sorry. The next step, ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Ask. And then ask for accountability. So, I cussed you out. That was wrong. I spoke to you like I never should have spoken to you. That was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Not only that, I give you permission to call me out anytime I do this now. I give give you permission that if I act like this, we're not going to get into offense again. We're not going to get into unforgiveness again. You call me right out. And then the last step is this. Ask if there's anything else. While you're doing the business of healing and forgiven, just ask if there's anything else. Is there anything else that you need to ask for forgiveness for? Is there anything else that you need to make right? But in order to do any of this, in order to forgive, we truly have to be forgiven. We've talked about this last week. If you want to have this incredible relationship in your family and in your life and through all of these seasons, not only do you need to be a forgiving person, forgive yourself, forgive those who have hurt you most in life, but you also need to be the kind of person that has been forgiven by Jesus. And the Bible makes it so clear. It's not a work. It's not anything that we do. It's not transactional. It's an acceptance that Jesus came from heaven to earth and he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we needed to die, but he rose again to show victory over sin and death. And it says that whoever would believe and confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus died for them will be saved, will be forgiven forever. Jesus doesn't have to keep going to the cross to keep forgiving you. He paid for it all. So maybe today the first step for you is to come down here and accept that. Today's the day that God loves you and he forgives you. When you believe in him and confess in him, it's all gone. It's forgotten. It is no longer counted to you any longer. He remembers it no more. But out of that same forgiveness that you receive, we can forgive others. Why? Because we can trust the God who forgave us to help deal with them. Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. 
But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.